up people 21 questions uh, this is the sit down uk and this is our weekly interview platform i'm your host i am the founder of sit down uk i go by the name of icy um, and we're going to be sitting down with an amazing gentleman who has an amazing story adam brooks uh, today so join us man um, make sure you are sending this to as many people as you can uh, people that you know might be inspired or interested in what we're talking about tonight now, if this is your first time coming onto the sit-down platform or coming to 21 Questions, um, you have a treat. After this, uh, this is not only going to be placed on this platform, on our IGTV channel, uh, but it's going to be put on YouTube, it's going to be put on Spotify, it's going to be put on Apple Podcasts. But we have season one and we have season two. And so you can binge to your heart content um, on all the interviews that we've been having. Now, we want to make sure that you're involved today, okay? So, please, please, please use the comment section, okay? If there's anything that resonates with you, represent it with an emoji of some sort. Uh, let us know that you're here. If it's your first time ever coming to 21 Questions, uh, we want you to put a trophy in there, as in first. Um, so, we want to welcome you all to get involved tonight. And if there are any questions you have, there is a question uh, function at the bottom of the screen. Please put your question in there. And what we'll do, we'll be sure to involve that as we go along. Just insert your questions in. Uh, but we'll big up Juliet, you're inside. Good to see you. Um, right, further ado, actually, um, Adam is here. So I'm going to come over to you, Adam. How is everyone doing? Juliet, how are you doing? Let me know. Adi, how are you? Abby. Hey, Adam, how are you? Yes, bro. I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's befitting that you are right there <laughs> in <laughs> with your trainer collection, man, because I've been seeing your videos. That collection looks mad. How yeah, many pairs have you got? How many? Um, there's yeah. about 70 or 71 oh, pairs man. there. Would you classify yourself as a certified sneakerhead? No, nah, I wouldn't know. I'm not no. okay. I need the Jordan 98. <laughs> concrete so that i'm not that guy i just love nice trainers it probably comes from when i was a kid and my parents had a very low priority on terms of trainers so i never had a good <laughs> pair of trainers until i was like 14 or 15. so what what trainers did you have before then what was the what were you what were you rocking i mean i'm gonna embarrass myself a bit now <laughs> the, the brands were sort of like kingfisher high-tech bat, bat, bat. Um, mercury gola Ooh. ascot come on you wouldn't know about them brands, man. But yeah, it was that. It was that kind did, of you, flex, man. did you ever have tracks? I don't think so I had. I don't have tracks now. Where, where nah, are they from? They were like from. Um, what's that high street store that used to sell school shoes? Um, like Shoe Express, them kind of time there. Oh boy. <laughs> well, I, I remember one time having a pair of shoes for school from. I don't even remember the shop. Quick Save. Yes, yes. I had a pair of five-pound shoes from there called uh, Rough Nuff. They were called Rough Nuff. And uh, they looked like kickers, right? So imagine, they looked like kickers. So I went to school. I, my sister had kickers, authentic ones. Yeah. And I stole the cauliflower from her shoe and put it on mine. And then I was in the language lab at school. And I put my foot up by accident. And then people saw the foot on my shoe. And I was like, Brooksy, what are those? What are those? I was like, don't watch that, man. You don't watch that. Don't watch it. <laughs> Well, you know, well, it developed it, it a lot of character as well, to be fair. It helped. Mm. I mean, it made me be more, I put my personality developed a lot more as a result mm -hmm. of not having 
the best trainers. That's just been exactly. that kept you cool, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. it was good. It was good. Hundred percent. Well, never, thank you for joining us. Uh, that's my pleasure, man. But I just I, out of tribute for you, bro. I wore the turtleneck. I know it's a uniform. Come on. So, <laughs> I know it's a uniform. I was like, listen, I've got to do this thing. I've got to make sure uh, I you represent the brotherhood, man. So. Oh, thank you. You know, big up. Um, who was it? Yes, who was it last week? Um, yeah, Renee. Renee was saying, she was saying that, yeah, that is the uniform. And I won't lie, it's the only smart thing I have at the moment. I need to do more shopping, but it's become the uniform. So, boy, I think when we do the events, I'm just going to wear this, man. It's, it's easier that way. I, I don't blame you. It's normal, if I'm doing an event, I'm normally wearing one of my smart shirts or a turtleneck or a jacket. Just Come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, bro, thank you so much for coming on, man. Um, for hitting me up and I remember you know the stuff that we're going to talk about that I heard before but I didn't know it was directly yeah. linked to you and we'll talk about yeah. it um yeah. but then delving into your story and seeing all the things that you've done it was just inspiring and it just connected it clicked it made it worked do you know what I'm saying so um welcome to 21 questions you have 21 questions or more you have I'm one pass no you're, you're you've got this you've got this when that's what renee said renee said you got this yeah um, renee smashed it though renee smashed it big up to her man you got one pass card so if you don't want to okay. answer a question you can use your pass card but okay. i think you'll make it through i mean i think you'll make it through 100 percent uh big up to everyone that's just joined us this is 21 questions with adam brooks we do this every thursday 9 p.m and what we try and do is we get people on and we just unpack their story all right from the highs and the lows and everything in between. Um, this is going to be on IGTV straight after. So if you're worried about not seeing everything or coming in late or you've got stuff to do, don't worry. As soon as this finishes, it's going to be on our front page, on our profile page, and you can watch it all back. But we're going to get straight into it. If you are, uh, if anybody here is, this is your first time, I want you to put a trophy in the comment section, all right, because we are happy to have you. So... What we're going to start off with is the quick fire stage. Uh, a couple of questions coming your way. Don't think too hard. Give me what you first think about and let's see. <laughs> okay, I'm with you, man. So, to anybody watching this, Adam doesn't know any of these questions. He knows topics, but he doesn't know any of these questions. So, the response he's going to give is going to be fresh and, and, and like, genuine. So, cool. Thank you again for joining us. Let's get into it. So, First question is, uh, what made you? Give me something that made you smile this week. That's that question. Easy. I just literally came home from Stafford. Um, <laughs> I saw my nan. And um, oh, cool. I was at my auntie's house across the road from hers. And she walked across the road. And when she saw me, she was trying her best not to smile. Because she's got this wow. thing where trying not to look gassed. But she was smiling. <laughs> when I saw her smiling, I was like, nah, man. Nah, nah. She's a G, man. Proper G. And she crossed the road with her nostrils flaring. Say again. How old is she? How old is she? She's yeah. 80, I think she's 84, or 86. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, she's my last grandparent left, so like, she's very, very special. Ooh. But yeah, she crossed the road, saw me and my, my cousins were there, and she was grinning from it. It's like, that made me so happy. Uh, so happy, man. When was the last time that you saw her? Before that, it would have been, oh, kind of, <coughs> I would say, I spoke to her on the phone last, this week, but I haven't seen her for oh, at least a, maybe a month or so, maybe longer okay. than that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, mama. Good, good. And yeah. um, what is your favorite life quote? Your favorite life quote? Uh, you're gonna die. You huh? You're gonna die. Gary Vee said it, and it really hit home to me. He says, "Someone says, tell me something that's gonna inspire me, motivate me." 
He said, if you're waiting for inspiration, just know this, you're going to die. So if you're waiting mm -hmm. for the time to be right for you to do something, because you're going to die, when, when, doesn't matter, you know you're going to die, so do it now. So <laughs> to inspire people, he said, like, you're going to die. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite things now. It's like one of those reminders, like, you know yeah. it, but it's because it's presented in such a blunt way, it, it, yeah. kind, of, it kind of pushes you to... It's a shock factor. Yeah. yeah, the shock factor, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, tell me about one of your worst speaking engagements, one of your worst speaking engagement experiences where it just fell to pieces. Fell to pieces? Um, let me think about this. Or maybe you did something or something happened to you. Oh, that's a good question. I think what one of them was not wasn't the worst, I guess, but one of the things that came to mind immediately was like I'm talking I was talking about how my marriage ended, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm starting trying not to cry. So I almost started choke, choking, trying not to cry. So I'm like, <laughs> like on the in the middle of a sentence. I was like, what am I doing, man? That was one of the worst that's probably one of the worst moments, I think. Um, and how did you how did you like deviate from that? Did you just focus on that then, or did you stop? I turned into a joke, innit? Just like one joke get some water take a second to regather re my thoughts and then start again yeah, um, yeah, yeah one of the other ones i guess would be like when i've done a talk and like you know you're trying to tell a story and you forget the major part of the story that's the most important bit and you wait <laughs> yeah, for people yeah. to get the punchline they haven't got it because you haven't told them the whole story like <laughs> uh why is it not laughing when he realizes you yeah you haven't done it you haven't done the work on it i've got to that day <laughs> uh, next question when are you the happiest um with my family, definitely. Um, mm. Or when I'm doing a talk for young people or oh. for anyone. Like, I'm in my flow state then, so I'm just gassed. But mm. probably the most... During lockdown, I hadn't seen my niece for about uh, a few months at one point. And I saw her one day, and she saw me. I was down the road, and she was like 100 metres down the road, and she sprinted the whole way. <laughs> and, like, she's been the love of my life since she was born. So, like, she oh. is literally what makes me... She's one of the things that makes me happiest. Definitely my niece Definitely. and my nephew. Um, oh, second to none man so that oh. one of my family my niece and nephew that's it man that's beautiful beautiful um who are you closest to matt my brother and best my best friend in the whole world beautiful, by a million man. miles like oh. no one comes close to that um and my sister as well they are the two people i go to for any conversation anything i'm thinking any secret i can't tell mom and dad i'm like Beck, matt listen blah 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 what do you think and then they'll come back and tell me adam don't do it or do it or Stop being silly. But mm -hmm. they're the ones I trust implicitly with anything. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, we're going to go into that because I want to know how, how that was kind of forged and, and still remained the same and intact with the adults. But, yeah. yeah. Um, tell me about what is your most valuable pair of trainers in your collection? Financially, the ones that probably cost the most were... <laughs> oh, which ones? Uh... See, this rack fair, is crazy. You know what? I'll tell you why I love these the most. So my brother is a musician, right? So he went on tour. In his first, like, major tour, he went on. He came back. It was my birthday. And he had just got his first big money. And he bought me these trainers. And this is, like, wow. 2012. Your, did you so say your brother? Above, say again? Your brother, did you say? Yeah, Matt, my brother, yeah. Oh, cool. So, 2012. So he just got his big money. The first thing he did was we went to a shop and he bought me these trainers. Like, it wasn't a discussion we had. It wasn't like, oh, Matt, we know, where do you get money? It was like, we went to a night, night shop. He's like, bro, he bought me these. And I was like, what? Like, I couldn't believe it because they're very expensive. But not just that. He just got his first money. Wow. So I was like, bro, that, that was like... That's love. So these are like, this is how fresh they are. That's how oh, my God. Genuinely, that's how fresh they are. 
How many times have you worn those? The Dap Fresh. How many times have you worn them? I've worn them, but it's like this is since 2011, so this is 10 years I've had them for now. And you can see they're fresh. Wow. How fresh they are. Sneaker heads. Yeah, man. Oh, that's, right. that's, it's oh. the value for my brother, though, to be fair. It's not the, yeah, the shoe true, itself. True. Yeah. I love that. Um, what's one food you would never, ever try? Um, I'm anti like seafood. So I'll eat fish. I like okay. fish and stuff, but I'm not going to eat like. Um, I'm not going to eat octopus ever again. I, I, I didn't want to in Spain. I was like, what the heck is this? And like mussels and that kind of stuff. Nah, yeah. No, nah, not about it. Like. Uh, what about prawns? Yeah, I can do prawns. Yeah, I can do prawns. Okay, not the big okay. ones, though. And someone in the comment, no, nah, she said rats. Dr. Nam said rats. Yeah, she's, she's one of my, my close friends. She literally <laughs> came, came to us and was like, oh, you know, we eat field rats in, oh, what country is from again now? Um, she's from, no, I'll put it in the comments because I can't remember. But Nas from um, somewhere where you eat rats, basically. And she's telling me, oh, my brother, I'm like, gosh. so I wouldn't eat rat ever. No, I let us know. What, what country is that? Zambia, is it? Zambia. So that I, I know. Zambia. I know that I'm not booking a ticket there. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, What is the first thing you do in the morning? First, first thing. Tell Alexa to show up. <laughs> Alexa <laughs> beeping. You know my, I've got Alexa everywhere. So Alexa oh, beeping, okay. beeping. Like, Alexa, shut up! <laughs> but then I have to get up anyway. So that's the first, first thing. And the second thing is just check if I need like emergency phone calls or anything. Mm. Um, and then I'll try and... Uh, do, you, do you have your phone on um, vibrate or... On loud in the Pretty night. much on vibrate, yeah, all the time. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. So if I'm a call came in the night, so if a call came in the night, say I said, if a call came in the night, would you hear it? Only for my family. So it's on them. Um, do not disturb from like eleven. So if you're on my VIP list on my phone, it'll oh. ring. If you're not, then I, I won't get. It. I'll get a. I'll see the missed call if I look at it. Yeah. But it won't ring, and the text won't come through unless I won't. Ah, I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah, if you've got like the favourites on your list, you put yeah. your favourites and then you choose Do Not Disturb and you set it so that nobody, well, from 11 o'clock, it doesn't ring. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to do that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, this, this is a very, very important one. I hope you're ready for this question. This is a very serious one. Um, how do you make your tea? Because this is going to tell us everything about who you are and the type of person you are. So... I'm I'm not a massive tea drinker, but mm. I'll have tea when I go to my mum and dad's house. So I will have tea bag first, water, mm -hmm. milk, and then if I feel a certain way, I may need a bit of sugar to it. But okay. I don't normally have sugar in it. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I thought you were I thought you were a milk first. Yes. Nah, nah, nah. That's, okay, okay, if you, okay. We can talk then. We can talk then. Okay, we can carry on. <laughs> Let's carry on this conversation. That's, that's good. That's some very on psychopathic man. Like crazy <laughs> stuff. If you are, if anybody in the, who's watching this, if you are a milk first, could you put a cow in the comment section or some milk? Let's just let us know who you are so that we know yeah. to steer clear of you. All right, cool. Beef, <laughs> Trust me. Uh, who is your favourite music artist at the moment? Someone that you've fallen in love with, their music. Um, in terms of like gospel music, definitely been like Todd Delaney and, and John Trent Reynolds have been playing that consistently. So like um, a song called Make Room by okay. Jonathan Reynolds. I just love that song. I'm playing it on, on, uh, on repeat. And then Proverbs 3 by Todd Delaney, which is just tablet. Um, that song is just a jam. And we've mm -hmm. played it at our church recently. Well, we recorded it for our church recently and uh, I love it. In terms of outside of gospel music, um, 
to be honest with you, I couldn't tell you last time I listened to anything that's. Yeah, I'm not. I can't. I couldn't tell you. Something that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. And uh, Nas said she put a cow there. Gina put um, said milk first. Oh gosh! Welcome, welcome, guys. All right, all right. Last question. Uh, what are you? What are you most proud of as a person? Um. In myself, or like mm. just in general, like, I would it? say something, something that you have done, something that you've right. achieved. <clears throat> um, I would say probably, probably most proud of my resilience. Um, I think I've got a, I bounce back um, from things, and I, I guess that's something that's I, I guess I can take credit for because it's in me. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess it's been instilled in me by, by my parents and my upbringing mm. and stuff. Well, having had that, uh, as you probably, well, you know, anyway, like the stuff I've been through, um, not letting anything determine my future, like having that mm -hmm. control of my stuff, myself still. I think that's probably it, like knowing what I've been through and knowing that I'm still here. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's probably my proudest thing, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Looking at the stuff that you've been through yeah. and, the, and the disposition that you still have, I think, yeah, resilience. It's, I'm learning from it myself. Um, okay, cool. That was a that was quick fire. Light work, light work, light work. Can we get a round of applause in the comments section, please? Um, okay, that was just light work. We're going to dive in. So, I want to know in your in your childhood, what were some positive moments, like some positive standout moments that you, in your memory, can always refer back to? Um, definitely my um, my relationship with my brother. Um, we used to do everything. Well, I mean, up until he got married and obviously he started his own life, we did everything together. Um, and so going through childhood, even when we were alone together, like we would just cook together, we'd go and play football together. We didn't need anybody else. We had friends, but as long as us two were together, it didn't matter who was around. Nice. I think that's probably my most... That, and then obviously with my sister as well, my big sister, she's three years older than me. Um, so having us three as a unit, and I think being pastors' kids and stuff as well, <laughs> we kind of had to stick together. Um, and I think that's probably one of my most cherished things. The relationship we've had had just got stronger and stronger. There's never been a division between us, never. Um, mm. I can't tell you one time where there's been a situation where we've been divided ever in my, you know, in our sibling relationship. So I think that's probably the best thing. I'll also say just, in, just even like going to Wales on holiday, my family and stuff, and just, it's just simple things for me that, I, that stand out, man. That summer holidays where we'd go out from morning and be out all day on our bikes. Yeah. Um, going to my grandma's house in the summer. In the summer, All my cousins are there sleeping in one bed. Like, there's one door bed and there's like 44 people in the bed. Not 44, but, you know. <laughs> like, and grandma giving us all extra Weetabix and extra cookies and extra food on our plate and stuff. Like, they're the best things, man. And you look back and even see my grandma today, it's literally, like, it's so heartwarming for her to see us, I guess, now as the street adults and stuff from that little kid that we was when we used to go there and stuff. And yeah, she just, just those things, man. The simple things make me happy. Yeah. How, yeah. how do you, what do you do to, as an adult, how do you access those memories or that feeling as an adult? Is there certain things that you might uh, do as an activity with your brother or certain food that you might eat that take you back to that memory? I mean, one of the things we probably do that reactivates some thoughts is me and my brother still spend quality time together. We really do. So um, we'll go on car drive. We'll go somewhere. And on the journey, we'll just talk the whole way. We don't, I don't know what it is, but like we're two old men, really. We talk about everything. We discuss <laughs> things that are going on in our life. 
we, he advises me, I advise him. Mm. Um, so that triggers. And then I spend quite a lot of time um, with my family in general anyway, like when, when we're able to um, do mm. that. And then my cousins and stuff, we have like a WhatsApp group. So every now and then we'll just pop up some pictures from back in the day or whatever. And reminisce on those things. So even though there's some in America and, and all over the world, we still kind of have that bond. Um, and I think especially with my granddad passing late last year, I kind of brought us all back together again as well. Mm. Um, so that was really a nice feeling to kind of have all the cousins together, the aunties and uncles together in one place and just kind of celebrate his life. Also celebrate the bond that we have together as a family as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something we're really kind of focused on doing more, more moving forward, sticking together, mm. having those moments together and being, being unified. Mm. I love that. Yeah, because I mean, I saw that you posted your grandfather. What was, what were some of the things that you remember learning from him that he, you know, that he taught you, whether he did it intentionally or yeah. just for observation? Well, I mean, he's a complicated guy. He was uh, a very dedicated man. He was dedicated to God and his family. Um, one thing comedically that I learned from him is that you can hide drinks that aren't necessarily good for you to drink all the time in Luke's bottles, which he used to do all the time. And we was like, Grandad, why can't I have some of drink? And he'd be like, no, this isn't for you, son, kind of thing. <laughs> we're like, why not? <laughs> Such a funny joke with a cousin that we all know, like, Grandad would have Luke's aid. Or he'd have a Luke's bottle, but it wasn't Luke's aid in the bottle, if that makes sense. Um, but also, like, one thing I definitely learned from him is he was committed wholeheartedly to God. He was wholeheartedly committed. And not just that, like, he was, maybe to his detriment, like, he, he was unwavering in, in the belief that he was supposed to be doing what God called him to do. So no matter what obstacle was put in his way, no matter what thing he faced, he didn't ever stop. He was like, okay, cool. This is another thing for me to get around. He just pushed through. When more people would give up, when most people would give up, he didn't give up. When people would, like, walk away from things because it's getting difficult. Up until his last months, man, he was still dedicated to the cause, you know, mm -hmm. so... I think the biggest lesson he probably taught me was first, no, two things. Family is first, definitely. He loved his family. But also that if you're in something, you should be dedicated to it wholeheartedly. Like, if you're doing it, do it with all your heart. And if you don't, do it, don't do it. Look, yeah. yeah. Just like you, I'm, I'm a PK. I'm a pastor's kid. <laughs> um, so, God bless you. I'm, fami God bless you. <laughs> I'm familiar with that. That invisible pressure or that invisible responsibility, and I wondered for you, do you for your brothers and you, for your brother and your sister, did you not feel that pressure being past as kids, and how did you shirk that pressure off, or did you do you still feel it now? I mean, it's a, you you know this yourself. It's a never-ending pressure. It, it, it comes at different points of your life, stronger. And I'll give you an example. Like when I was a teenager, um, I remember like my friends getting earrings and that kind of stuff and I was like oh I want to get an earring <laughs> and my dad's like nah nah and and you know it wasn't even like it's not a sin heaven health thing it's just if I do it then every boy is going to see Adam's doing it as a license for them to do it yeah. uh, and then it's like a, every boy is going to go and get his earpiece or get a tattoo or that kind of thing I remember even as a when I went to college I was like 16 I, I remember I had two friends that were girls that I'd often walk through town to to get the bus and so I'm firm with I was like oh Bishop uh, Pastor Brooks, uh, I saw Adam with two girls and I don't think it's a good look, you know, because Pastor's son's not very good, is it? And you're like, well, I mean, the, how do you know who they are? What do you think I'm doing walking through town like am I impregnating them here? Like, what you yeah. um, so it's that constant pressure to always be aware of your surroundings and people judging you based on nothing other than your parents' title or role. Mm. Um, and one thing I kind of, I've, I've got, as I've got older, I've realised that when your parents are called into leadership, 
there's a calling on their life that kind of extends to you as well. It does. I, I realise that a lot of pastor kids don't want to accept that. But there is a, there's a call on the parent's life that means that you're in the line of fire. So there's a call on you to kind of help you to stay out of the line of fire. I found myself as I'm of a, terms of an adult and stuff, that I'm very well placed now in terms of my knowledge and my experiences to be a leader in the church, even if I didn't want to be. Like, mm. the exposure I've had to people and experiences and places and things has, has made it like, there's stuff I just know that I know how to do. Mm. That there's people who've been in church as leaders their whole life and don't know how to handle. And so I know there's a call that comes with being a pastor's kid. And it's hard because growing up mostly, having been a pastor's kid, like, I never would ever be a pastor. No chance. <laughs> no way. You know, born hellfire on that kind of thing. And then it's like, as you get older, you think, well, it'd be a waste of my knowledge experience to not put it to some kind of use. Mm -hmm. If it was to be, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I know that I'm not called just to be sitting on the back bench either. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of understanding, like, being a pastor's kid is a call on your parents' life. It's a call on yours also. It doesn't mean you're anointed to be a pastor. That's not mm -hmm. the case. But it could mean that you have a service that you can deliver to the church as a result of you being in the place that you're in. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the main thing. Me and my brother and sister being strong together also meant that nobody could break into that. So there's no way, there's no, there's no weakness in us in terms of people getting to us because we all had to us backs. There's no way anyone got to us like that. So I, I think that's the biggest thing we had. Our family unit was strong. My parents always guided us and talked to us about our, about the expectation, but also about who we're supposed to be and who we are. Mm. And then us three as a unit, brother and sisters, also kind of had the... Um, I guess the positive mindset to understand we're here for a reason yes. and we're here to serve so let's do what we're here to do forget yeah. the complaining there's a bigger picture here so I think that's the main, the main thing and I, I totally agree I think um, being a pastor's child do you to some extent you realise that like you said you are carrying a particular mantle as well whether you want to or whether you don't want to the mantle is on your head and for me, I think I found that that has actually guided, been a guide to my life. There's certain things I haven't done just because of that role, knowing mm -hmm. that, okay, there's a certain thing on my head, there's a certain thing on my parents' head. I can't afford to do that. Not that I'm perfect in no shape yeah, or yeah. form, but it really does guide you and, and kind of, yeah, it steers you. It steers you in some weird way to know that there's more for what I'm supposed to be doing and then there's purpose. Yeah. And so I, there's certain things I cannot do. But also yeah. in your situation, there are certain things that happen to me that show you there is purpose. Again, so it's almost like, mm -hmm. a, it's like a double, it's almost like a double-edged sword. So yeah, thank you, thank you. Say, yeah. No, go on. Now I can say like, it, it goes to the point of like, even when I was, um, when my marriage was breaking apart and I was going through the whole counseling thing, I was trying to get things sorted out and trying to make things work. And I just remember thinking, I cannot get a divorce because how would it look in the church? Like, how does that make my parents look? How does it make the other people who are struggling in their marriages in our church, or True. if there's anybody, do I then create the license in them to say, you know, if Adam can quit, then anyone can all quit. And you know, like 10 people breaking up in church, and it's like, mm. well, like, I caused the domino effect. So those years that passed, that I was there trying to struggle along and make things work, even in a secret separation, so we're not living together, but no one knew what was going on. Wow. rather than be open and honest and tell people straight away because it was like I can't afford for me to be the reason why people bounce or split up and I was very anxious of that fact and my parents didn't put any pressure on me but I also knew they're marriage counsellors they've been doing this oh. and they've been married for 43 years this year so it's like 
how can I, coming from that household, have a broken home, broken marriage? How can yeah. I do that? Yeah. With all the exposure I've had and experience I've had too. <laughs> so that was another thing that held, held me back a couple of years, to be honest with you, bro. Like it was, being a pastor's kid meant that I couldn't make a decision about my own life wow. as easy as it would be for the same girl blogs and normal person. Yeah. So tell me about this, you know, because you mentioned about your marriage and, and there is this thing about having to pick up the pieces, like you mentioned, picking up the pieces of perception because perception mm-hmm. will force you sometimes to stay in a situation you do not want to be in, but the mm-hmm. pressure of perception will make you say, I have to be. If you can, unfold for me what led to the point where you were like, I cannot do this no more to the point of saying, I'm not doing this no more. Yeah, so, so okay, so um, 2016, where we had our separation originally, um, like I moved out and everything like that. Um, but at that point, it still wasn't like, it was, it was almost like, let's see. But I, I, in my mind, it was like, I knew that it wasn't a let's see moment, but it was like, yeah. that was just the way to get to move that to that level. But what really triggered me or pushed me over the edge was when I got stabbed, which I know you want to talk about later, so I won't go into detail of that. Mm. But, Literally, when I um, came around after surgery and stuff, I was like, "Raw man!" Like my life was literally gone. In terms of, I couldn't. I was that close to being dead. I'm waking up and realizing, like, I'm not waking up thinking, "Let's fix this. Let's make it right." I'm gonna turn it around now. I didn't wake up that feeling. Like, if that's if this isn't gonna trigger it for me now, or for her either, <laughs> yeah. it ain't gonna happen, man. That's it. it ain't gonna happen. Wow. So I was like, "Yeah, you know what? <laughs> if that isn't it, then it's never gonna happen." So that was the thing that pushed me over the edge of like, "Yeah, that's it." And what would you say was the, what would you say was the process of the breakdown? Because some people always, you know, some people would talk about marriage in the sense that mm. you can work through anything. You're going to work through anything. It doesn't matter. Go into mm. counselling. Go into what you need to do. But you can't break up. What was it for you that was causing that breakup and causing that uh, breakdown of the relationship? I'd say, I mean, what I'd say is this. I think in the beginning, how you start things determines how it, how it ends. And one of the key things that I, I could speak for myself, I definitely got wrong in marriage, was that I got married probably for the wrong reasons in terms of I felt like it was the next level of my life. I'm a man now. Let me show the world I'm a man. Like, I'm going to be a husband. And my, uh, my ex-wife had a uh, child as well. So mm-hmm. her daughter is my... I still call her my daughter. She's still my child. She's 19. So she's at university. And she's a big girl. Um, but, like, at that point, I was like, yeah, this, this is the next step in my life to become a man. Everyone can see I'm a man now. Um, <laughs> And the, the key thing was I wasn't, I was waiting for that to validate me as a man rather than my life to validate me as a man in terms of what I was doing, my actions. And so even, this isn't an advice for anyone, but it, definitely if you're a guy who wants to get married, before you marry anybody, the first thing you need to know is where you're going with your life. Like you have to have a vision for your life. If you want a woman to follow you, if you want a woman to be wholehearted in a relationship with you, she has to know where you're going and you have to have a vision. And I will say that I didn't have a vision. I thought that just getting married was the goal and then hopefully our friendship and everything else will just keep us going and we'll buy a house and we'll do all the things that you can have a kid and blah 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 and what i realized very quickly that like, within within three weeks was that without a plan and the bible says without a vision people perish and without a vision for the marriage it meant like we were literally blown in the wind different things swayed us into different directions rather than us having a godly plan for our marriage and uh god having a god being the leading factor in the relationship it was more like uh, oh, so we need to do this and reaction rather than yeah. plan. Right, so I think the biggest letdown really in our marriage was the first thing, having no vision, having no plan, having a, we planned the wedding, 
we had a, a majorly overly planned wedding. We had everything to the detail in TOT, yeah. from the cufflinks to the shoelaces in the men's <laughs> shoes, to the table placement, to the wow. flower arrangements. Everything was intricately um, planned out. Everything was done. But the marriage wasn't. Just like, we haven't even thought about where we're going to live. We haven't wow. thought about, like, we've yeah. got a house, but we were like, we're going to buy a house. How are we going to buy? All these different things we thought we were going to do. We didn't do. So it's like, okay, if you're going to embark on a journey like marriage, first and foremost, you have to have a vision. Secondly, you need to, need, you need to know your purpose in life. I never knew my purpose either. So mm. I'm then finding my purpose as I get older. And she's like, not necessarily in tune with that. And that's not her fault. That's me. Having mm. not told her where I was going. So I'm asking her to go on a journey with me that she wasn't prepared for in the beginning. Yeah. I'm saying to her, oh, by the way, now I'm going to be this guy. Are you okay with that? Versus this is who I am. This is where I'm going. This is my purpose. And like, is this something you can buy into? And how can I buy into what you're doing? How can yeah. our collective purpose yeah. join us in one? Like, what would the reason be that God would define me as your husband and you as my wife? What yeah. is that we both have together? That when we come together, it becomes this big thing that God, not even big thing, but this collective purpose that God has created for both of us to fulfill. Mm. And so there wasn't, that wasn't there. And I think as it becomes more obvious that you're not connected in that way, it becomes harder and harder to contain, sorry, to maintain the relationship. So that broke down. Communication started to break down. We went to therapy, went to counselling and stuff and everything like that. And the key thing was that as much as we went to therapy and counselling, I don't think throughout that process we were 100% honest either. I, I tried to be as much as I could be. I don't think I lied about anything. But I think there's more of a struggle um, for her to bring, to bring something to the table um, and that's not a fault either. That's just her experiences that made that be her, her journey. So that made it kind of broke down in counseling as well. Counseling didn't work because the, the table wasn't set, laid out. There wasn't, everything wasn't laid out in front of us. It was still like held back. Mm. Um, and we tried everything, Christian counseling, non-church counseling, individual counseling, um, theotherapy, everything. Wow. And it just, yeah, we tried everything. So it wasn't like a, I'm done, see you in a bit kind of thing. It was, years of counselling and trying to work it out. Mm. I still see a therapist now as a result of seeing one then yeah. just as a result of knowing that the impact of that was major mm. and it did change my life so yeah, yeah it, was, um, it was a difficult situation but I definitely believe I wouldn't take it back, I don't regret it like my daughter is great, I love her in my whole heart and um, as much as I'm a stepdad, to her I'm her dad and mm. that, to me that's the most important thing yeah. uh, and um yeah, the experience has meant that if I, if I get married again, God willing, that I'll be a better husband this time because mm -hmm. I would not enter into it without a vision, without my purpose being clear. So you know what I'm doing. If you're not, if that's not for you, no, no problem, it's cool. Yeah. But I would never make that mistake again. And that experience is what gave me that ability to do that now. Yeah. You know what, thank you so much for sharing that, you know, because one, you didn't have to, you could have used your pass card. Um, but I wanted to understand... Or, or I wanted people to also understand how, whether you're a Christian or not, sometimes things actually do not work out. Like, yeah. Especially in marriage and being a Christian and being a pastor's child, it doesn't automatically mean the road is going to be plain sailing. There are going to be bumps in the road. Some we recover from and some we do not. And that's just the reality of it. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes, especially across social media, there is this rose-tinted presentation of marriage and relationships yeah. that negates any type of real deep struggle that could threaten it. And so people just think, yeah, we're going to meet, 
going to get married, we're going to have kids, we're going to get a mortgage, da 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 da. We might go through a little bit, but you know, we'll, but sometimes it actually doesn't work, and it's actually better that you're not together. And I think sometimes, yeah, yeah. in in the, especially in the faith, what we talk about, we don't talk about enough. Sorry, is that reality? As much as death is a reality. We don't yeah. talk about the reality of marriage is not working out and that not being the end. So what people do is they stay in that marriage because of the perception, because mm. of what we build up, what this marriage thing has to be. But they're not mm. happy. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. we have to sometimes look within ourselves. Yes, we're Christians and yes, we have a faith and yes, we believe in God, but we have to also look within ourselves and see, is this working? And if it's not, what can we do, you know? And sometimes that means separating, sometimes that means continuing, to, you know, to work on it. So thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. Um, tell me about being, you know, you spoke about your daughter and uh, she sees you as father, but tell me about that responsibility of being a stepfather, of taking on that responsibility and saying, um, I'm going to be that father representation in your life. Was it something that you was it something that you're apprehensive about was it something you just found found you fell into and you were like yep i got it like that how was that for you bro the, the honest truth is i i think i was born to be a dad and it's it's mad to me uh, that i haven't got any kids yet it's mad to me you know <laughs> like, i can't believe i haven't got any kids of my own because i love children nice. i love kids and kids always love me as well uh so mm. it's kind of it's still nuts to me now you know that i haven't got any kids of my own but the, um when i met maya she was like six five or six i think it was literally her birthday around the time when I started to date her mum. So she turned six. And uh, without going into detail because it's not my place, but her, mm -hmm. her real dad isn't very... Well, I've met... In, my, in the last 13 years, I've probably seen her about eight times. That kind of... So it's not been, you know, not been very, very uh, much around. Mm. And I guess I've always known, because my dad's such a great father, he's an amazing father, in fact. So he's always shown us what a father's supposed to be and how a dad is supposed to... What and the importance of a dad, sorry, the importance of what a dad's role is in a child's life, being a boy, being a girl. So being a boy, it's like the role model is how I become a man. It's what I think about women, how I treat them, yes. how I um, carry myself. That's my dad. Too. That's just observing my dad. In fact, funny story. I remember this the other day. I was thinking about it. Being a little kid, I remember hearing my dad go to the bathroom, right? And he'd be there and he'd, do, he'd be like, it felt like he's in there for 10 minutes. Just the stream was that strong. So I remember going to the toilet myself, taking a jug with me and just pouring into the toilet really slow. <laughs> so I could be like my dad. I wanted to think I was a big man like him. I'm pouring water in the toilet from a jug because it made me sound like I was a big man like him. That's the influence a dad has over a son. Yeah. You want to be like him. I want to copy him. And for a daughter, it's like you are setting the template for what she expects from a man, how yeah. she should require to be treated. So my daughter doesn't open the car door. She's never had one. I'm with her. She's waiting at the door for me to open the door because I've trained her that a man, if he sees value in you, he'll open the car door for you. That mm -hmm. goes without saying. I buy her flowers, I give her gifts. Those things aren't to buy her. It's so that when a guy comes into her life, it's like, my dad does this, they ain't not special. Like, what well, one? You think that's gonna get me get you somewhere with me? You have to show me that you are valuing me before you have any opportunity to get to me. She's 19, she's away at uni, like a mile a year, a mile away, a hour away. So I I know she's got opportunity, but I know she's also been trained to be uh, to be valued. And I think the lack of a dad being in the girl's life makes a massive difference. It's a value system. It's their own personal value. She called me like, Dad, I need this. And she knows it's happening. Dad, this happened. Can you talk about it? And he talks to me about everything. Nice. And what that gives her is a safety net. 
She knows. Mm. If something goes wrong, dad, this guy just troubled me or someone's following me home, I'll be there in a shot. She knows she got back at him. She knows that me and Uncle Matt will be in the car within five minutes. <laughs> and any man that troubles her, you're getting handled. <laughs> and when a girl has that support and that mm. standard in her life, it kind of sets the, raises the bar for the men that approach her. And what you notice is when men see a woman that has father figures in her life, mm. he has to either raise his game to, to approach her or okay. he doesn't, because he realizes yeah. it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy if it quicked in. And that's why, for me, it was so critical that even when we split up, that she didn't lose anything. Like, yeah. when we split up, originally, I still had her, like, two times a week. So regardless of where we were living together, she would come with me two times a week. We'd go for dinner. We'd go and chill out. She'd go to my parents' house. We'd chill together. I still went to every single parents' evening. I missed one in the whole school life. One parents' evening. Every sports day. Go to university. Me and her mom took to university together. There's no beef. No, There's nothing like that. Yeah. I think it's important for her to understand that a dad's role, for her, me and her mom's relationship doesn't affect her. Me and her have our own relationship. So she knows that I'm going to back her 100%. Oh, my gosh. Someone just comes in at my United school. I totally forgot about the game. Yes, done. Thank Five, two. That, that's how I thought it was 2-1 to them. So that's good. Um, sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I just, I just really understand the value of your father. I know mm. that when it comes to her choosing a man, she's going to use me as a template. She's going to look at me, the way I've treated her, the things I've done in her life, and the, the, even the example I set with her mum, even when things weren't going well, mm. the standard never changed. So she knows that's what she has to expect for herself. 100%. So I could never walk away, and I love her with my whole heart, man. I really do. So there's no, there's no way I could do that. No way. Oh, big up. What's her name you said? Maya. Maya, big up Maya. That, I love that story. I, I've got a daughter. My daughter's two. Um, and I think I'm very mindful of all these things that you've mentioned about the role I'm going to play um, and the standard that I have to set. Yeah, hundred percent, and I think. But you, you are going to be her idol, man. You're her idol. You are literally <laughs> going to be the, the template. Yeah, like any true. man that comes to her is going to be like, my dad buys my mom flowers. Yeah, so yeah. Why are you buying me flowers? My yeah. dad kisses my mom every single morning, every single time he sees her, his eyes light up. Why are you excited to see me? Yeah. When she sees you, you know, of your 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 partner, that's just the standard yeah, in her head. You you are creating yeah. that template. 100%. It's mad, bro. Like it's the best thing, especially because. At the age she's like, man, you're just going to be her hero, man. She's going to look at you and think, oh, my God, this is the best thing in the world. My dad is the best thing in the world. That's all she's going to see. Although she, you probably got terrible twos now. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Jeez, She's going to look up to you like nothing else in the world, man. It's the best feeling in the world. Trust oh, me. Thank you, man. I can't wait. I, I, I can't wait to see how she just, who she flourishes to become. Because I think that, that excites me as well. Just seeing her come mm -hmm. into who she is and mm -hmm. but how she also treats people around her. But, yeah. Ah, big up to you. Anybody that's just joined us, welcome. This is 21 Questions with Alan Brooks. He's just been sharing, um, you know, from his childhood, the love of his siblings. Um, but also, when things don't go so wrong, what happens? How do you react? How do you move? Um, and now talking about his marriage. Uh, that didn't work out, but he again bounced back from that. He's still in his daughter's life, doing an amazing job. Um, and I want to go into something that, you know, you, you are almost the poster child for. Uh, which is intentional living. And uh, there's a quote from Helen Keller, which you know well, life is short, eat your dessert first. Life yeah. is short, eat your dessert first. And I remember when I heard that quote, um, I was like, I don't get it. And I was like, that's true, you know, like, let's just get that, let's get that dessert. We'll always wait and leave it to the end. 
what are the things that you keep leaving to the end? Let's just go backwards. Let's start that first. Um, but for you, you've had so many things that have happened to you that make this quote really, really come to life. You know, from mm -hmm. your car explosion to um, pneumonia. And when, when I was reading this stuff, when I was hearing this stuff, I was like, how, how many times is something like this going to happen to you and you make it through? And I want, so I wanted to ask you that, what, in all these near-death experiences, <clears throat> what is your personal view on death and, on, and how you view death? Yeah, so I'm, I, I've had the brush, brushy with death I've had. And I think what it's given me is a respect for life and and reminder of the inevitability of death. Like, mm. the, I mean, but the, the thing is, in all the occasions I've been ill or something's happened, there's been a purpose in it and there's been an outcome that has been reflected, in, if not in my life, in a positive way, in someone else's life in a positive way. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I see the purpose in every single thing. Um, like a perfect example is when I had pneumonia and mm. I was out, man. I had a blood clot on my lung, I had pneumonia, I was in hospital. Jeez. And um, the, thing, the funniest thing is, bro, I had this pain in my back for, for, for a while, man. And I was like, it's probably muscular. And then I was driving somewhere in my car, um, exhaust making a funny sound. I pulled over on the side of the road, just randomly on the side of the road. I w went under the car to look at the exhaust and I couldn't get off the floor. The, the, the um, fluid on my lung pushed me onto, I couldn't, I couldn't pick myself up. So I'm, it's like eight o'clock at night. I'm on the side of the road thinking, Whoa, like, what am I going to do now? <laughs> Eventually I rolled over and I was able to pull myself up. Got in the car, went home. And so you wait. You, you still you still drove, bro. I was I, I went home, man. I went back to my parents' house. I lived at home then, and um, I told my mom and dad, I was like, something's wrong. I've got this pain, blah blah blah. And then the next day, I was going to work, but I woke up a bit late. I was like, oh, I don't want to go to work late, man. So let me book a doctor's appointment just so I can call my boss and say I have got pain. <laughs> but I'm going to doctors and I come to work after that. That's the only reason why I didn't go because I woke up late. Only reason. <laughs> so my dad's like, yeah, go doctors, and then. Um, so I drove myself to the doctors, got there. The guy examined me for like two minutes, like, what are you doing here? You need to go to the hospital. Like, how did you get here? Like, how did you get here this morning? So I drove. Can you what? So he call you, he'll call someone, because the hospital's literally like two minutes down the road from the, my doctor's surgery. Get someone to take the hospital now and, and explain to them what's going on. So I went in there, they examined me, x-rays and CT scans and stuff. They found the blood cut in my lung and I had pneumonia. And I was like, what the? So then... The long story short, after I was recovering, the, re the recovery period was like from like August to like November, that kind of period of time. Wow. Now, someone came to Manchester to see, for, to see me at home, and I hadn't left the house that whole time. This is November or October. Hadn't left the house at all. And that night, they drove to my parents' house, and they were going back to the motor, but didn't know how to get there. So I said to my mum, let me drive my car with my brother. We'll drive and just show them the way to the motorway, mm -hmm. just to get out of the house for the first time. Yeah. So... My mum's like, only if you come straight back. I was like, don't worry, man, it's cool. Don't worry, you know, we're not going to go anywhere. So we drove them to the motorway. As we're driving, we saw this woman and a man arguing on the side of the road. Didn't think too much of it, but we take, took note of it. We took them to the motorway, drove back, and they were gone. And this is on a road where there was no way they could have gone there. They should still have been on that road. So we kind of uh, stopped. We were like, I said, Matt, like, what, what are we going to do? Something's gone wrong here. I don't know what it is, but I've got feeling or something was wrong. So we went down to the uh, side of the road where we could see that there was some movement and we saw the woman there on the floor with the man. The woman's on the floor with the man and it turns out he had a knife in her back. He was about to uh, sexually uh, assault her. Wow. And um, the only reason he stopped because we went down there. Wow. And uh, so eventually we got her away from him and took her home and he ran off. Um, 
and then the police got him eventually anyway. But the point was, had we not been on the road at that time of night, at that moment in time, he would have gone through what he was going to do. So for me, that validated why I was awful that whole time. I was like, wow. I had to be where I was at that moment to be so desperate to leave the house on that night Jeez. to go out to see this woman, to save her life. That's the Jeez. only reason why I was there. I was like, I was grateful to God that I was able to be in a position where I could be a valued someone like that. She had had an argument with her husband at home, right? Gone for a walk to clear her head. And this guy attacked her. If we yeah. weren't there, she'd have been, can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen? So that's the first thing. So I always find a purpose and everything, bro. Like, there's, even in the worst situation, there's something you can take out of it. Even if you take the biggest L, like you fail, you lose your job, your wife leaves you, whatever happens, there's something you can take from it that can drive you forward in your future. Mm. And so, like, moving forward to my, um, when I got stabbed, it's like, that was the, literally the best moment of my life. I, I, I reflect <laughs> on that moment. Over the Jaden and Zion being born, right? No joke. Wow. Jaden and Zion being born are two of the greatest moments of my life. Just being there, seeing them come, like, come from nowhere to be here, greatest experiences ever. But third to that is that moment when I nearly died because it made me wake up. It was like the cold light of day says, Adam, if you do not take a hold of your life, you're going to lose it. And you're going to lose it without having lived it the way you wanted to live it. So what are you going to do now? Yeah. And I remember lying in my church and I remember saying to myself, if I, make it out, if I, if I don't make it out of this, I'm going to die here then I can't complain because God has given me the best family. I've had a great life. I've had every opportunity to do what I wanted to do. I may not have taken it, but I've had the chances. So that's one thing. But if I get out of this alive, I guarantee you, yeah, you will yeah. not catch me again. Yeah. You will never see dirt on me again. I promise you, there'll be never a person whose opinion is more important to me than me doing what I need to do in my life. Nobody's opinion, no one's projected fear, no projected negative talk is going to allow me to not be who God made me to be mm. one way or another. And so, like, I thank God. Every time I talk about it, people are like, you, I'm crazy because why would you think it's the greatest thing? I'm grateful yeah. that God was able to give me <laughs> that wake-up call in my life. Mm. And then I'm alive to take the results of that wake-up call and live with it. Yeah. You know, when you were mentioning this story about the, 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 the sexual assault, I'm reminded of, you know, recently with what happened to um, Fola Jimmy. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I wanted to ask you, because this was night time, this is late. Yeah. You could have got into that situation. And, you, you know, you were going into that situation, but you didn't know the fullness of that situation. We don't know if there was two guys and there was one guy waiting. And what was running through your head going into that situation? Was there any fear or was there just, was there a blind fear or was there just like, no, this woman needs help. I've sensed it. We need to do something. Because again, you're putting your life in danger. You know, with Jimmy, that was the same situation where it was like, he seemed, oh, he was set on this person needs help. Mm -hmm. to whatever expense I've got to do, it doesn't matter, but this person is mm -hmm. out. So was that kind of like the same for you? I think the lack of time to think about things is probably mm -hmm. the deciding factor. I think, have you got time, if you've got time to process information and think it through, you're like, oh, what are the risks? You know, let's do a risk okay. assessment. There may be another guy there. Me and my brother have been raised by my dad to be protectors in every instance. So if I see somebody, it doesn't matter if it's a small child, a big man or a woman, if there's a threat to a person that I can intervene in and help, then it's my responsibility to do that. Not be totally frivolous and just throw my life down the line for anybody. 
But where there's instances where I can make a difference, yeah, peacefully, peacefully, then if not peacefully, however it needs to be done, then I should do it. So when we saw the woman, it wasn't even a, we didn't even think, oh, is there a risk? We literally just said, you know what? First and foremost, this, it, someone's in need, someone yeah. needs help, and we're capable of helping. I, I, can you imagine if you walked away from the situation and then saw in the news later, this woman had been assaulted and this happened and that kind of thing, like, how do you live with that knowing you could have done something about it? So for me, it was it's, it's no option. Me and my brother, literally, like I said, my dad said to us when we were kids, like your job in in, in part of my family, you protect your, you protect your mother and your sister at all costs. Like that's your job as men. And when any woman is in a vulnerable situation, you help. It's not for your sister, or your wife, or just a, someone who's in a weak position to you. You help them. So like it's a common. Me and my brother were talking about it the other day. We stopped. We saw a black woman on the motorway pulled over by herself. She's like looked really distraught. So we pulled over on the motorway and was like, have you got AA? You okay? She got in my car, says, well, let's call AA for you and then we'll see what happens. Then she got someone on the phone and they said they were going to come and meet her. So we waited with her in the car. We didn't think nothing of it. And then like about a day or two later, she found me on Facebook. I don't know how. We didn't tell her like I'm Adam Brooks. Yeah. Like, I don't know why he did that, but I'm so grateful. I was like, well, why wouldn't we do it? Like you could easily be my sister or my mum or someone. And then would I want someone to do the same for my mum? Like I would pray that if someone saw my mum at the side of the road, and God forbid that ever happened, but mum's on the side of the road and her car broke down or my sister or, or anybody that I know, mm. that they would try and help. Yeah. It's just, it just the way things are, that's what we've been taught. So it was never even a thought of, she would not do it. It's just like, my brother was like, basically, I'll go for the geezer, you get the girl. So my brother, <laughs> the guy, if you, I don't know if you've seen Matt in real life, but Matt's like bigger than me. He's six foot two plus, bigger than white. So imagine Matt running towards you you got a knife, it's not going to help you against Matt. Yeah. So the guy had a knife, but Matt's like, if you want it, let's go. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It wasn't even a, we were really worried, really. Um, but yeah, we didn't think about it. We're not, we've been trained just to just act, do what we need to do, help and protect. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, you, after you got stabbed, um, even though you had that kind of passion and zeal for life, what was it like going back to normal life? after everything, after everything's died down, <clears throat> was there any PTSD that you kind of experienced? Yeah, so I don't think I had PTSD in terms of the actual attack. Okay. It happened so fast um, that I didn't really, I don't know. It happened so fast and I didn't know the guy and I knew he wasn't coming from me. Mm. So it was like, I couldn't really even claim to be traumatized by that part of it. because yeah. I put myself into the situation um, and I kind of felt like I, could, I could own that. I know that I threw myself in the way of danger. He didn't come to me. Mm. Um, but I think the, the thing that probably hit home the most afterwards was um, one of the medications I was taking was a depressant, which I didn't know. And so I was having some negative thoughts. Anyway. Obviously, all this stuff had happened in my life. My breaking down, been stabbed, got this massive scar on my neck. All this stuff's going on. I'm like, and then what happened was <laughs> another thing happened. I, got, I became allergic to ibuprofen, which is part of my medication. So that, um, I was... Like I was on a train coming back from London, ironically, and as this is, this is the October, the November after the September, I got stabbed, and it's the first time I went anywhere. Matt came with me on the train back, and he's like, "Bro, you got hives everywhere." So hives all over my face. So my, my throat started closing up. It was all, it was crazy, Whoa. and um, so I went to hospital and they said you can't take ibuprofen anymore. So I'm taking these steroids anyway, and for some reason I decided to have some, and I'll give a trigger warning to anyone who's maybe had any um, suicide or suicide thoughts or anything like that. Like I started to have suicidal thoughts. I didn't want to kill myself, right? I knew I didn't want to die because I just survived someone trying to kill me. But at the same time, someone was saying to me, just take some more ibuprofen. 
just do it. What's the point? Takes. I'm like, why am I feeling so down? And genuinely, right, I felt like I was falling down the hole. I oh, felt man. like I was walking in a pit, and I was trying to come out of it, and it was physically all around me. I couldn't get out, and I moved back home after I got stabbed because I couldn't. I had to go to hospital like and doctors every day. So I said to my mom, like, mom, I feel like this. And my mum had been a mental health nurse for her whole career. Wow. So I knew I could, I could talk to about it. And we always talk about everything anyway. But like, mom, I feel like I don't want to kill myself. Don't worry. I feel suicidal for some reason. Like somebody tells me to try to do things that are going to end my life. And she says, what are you taking? What's your medication? We pulled it all out and we researched every single piece. And it was like, one of the things was the actual depression that was, would accelerate depressive thoughts effectively. So she told me, stop taking that. And I never knew, they never told me about that. So she told me, stop taking it. Within three days, I was like, back to normal. But that challenged me because like, had I not had the fortitude of, you know, fortitude, the strength of mind or the family support or even the ability to communicate how I felt, yes. I genuinely could have been on my way out. Mm. And it would have been easy because I have if I took enough of it, I would have been dead just in my house. Wow. No one would know what happened. So I was just like, where did that come from? And thank God I didn't follow through. And obviously, thank God I had the family support and my ability to communicate. My parents knew this way. I told them this. So this isn't a surprise, but I don't think anyone else would know this stuff. But um, like, I genuinely was having suicidal thoughts. I've never had that. Wow. So that was a, uh, a mad thing. And also, then the guy who um, stabbed me, he, uh, when we were going to, going to court, my whole focus then was, let's get to court. Let me do my victim impact statement. Let me tell him how I feel about him. Let me tell him what he's done to me. Like, even the fear of going out about, not because of people even know, knowing, not thinking someone's going to stab me again, but people look at me and see this massive scar, thinking I'm mm -hmm. some kind of... Yeah, gangster or something. You know what I mean? Gangster. Yeah. Remember, I, what, part of my work is in schools. So going to schools, a lot of the kids, like, knew, loved me. Like, the kids loved me at school. So when I went back and they'd heard, obviously, it's all over the news, on papers, everywhere you look, <laughs> my face is there. Adam Brooks stabbed. <laughs> People were like, right, like, man tried to murder Adam. What was he into? <laughs> I had to find myself explaining to teachers and head oh, teachers, look, wow. like, this isn't what, I'm not that kind of guy. This is the scenario. This is what actually happened. It was nothing to do with me, blah, 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 that kind of thing. So it's that kind of thing. It's the fact that, like, I'm conscious now all the time that when people see me for the first time, they're like, looking at my neck. Oh, what's that? Bro, and I'm like, my scar the same. Bro, so I know, yeah, 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 yeah. Seems so like people just can't. And it's human nature, so I even know, I don't even find it as a, I'm not it. I don't worry about it, because I would use, when you see something different, it's like, can I look, can I not look, let me look again quickly, we have that, we all have that, but the killer thing was just like, it wasn't self-inflicted, it wasn't something I did, it was something someone did to me, and I, and I can't explain to every single person what happened either, you know, like, you're trying to say, oh guys, don't worry, it's just a, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't do that, um, so that was a killer thing for me, um, so, yeah, the, what was the question again? I can't remember what you asked me. Oh, no, I was just asking about the PTSD element. But, like, oh, you yeah, can't, yeah. but these, this is good because this is, you know, some people might just say, oh, I can't go out anymore. But your, your story is interesting because it's like you've come out with a new lease of life. However, yeah. there are still things that are trying to pull you back and still things that are trying to say, hold on now, slow mm. down, come mm. and stay with us. Um, but again, you you just continue to fight, you know, fight through. And there is, with you, I can just see that there is there is this pull on your life. There is this call that is on your life that the enemy really, really is threatened by and really 
is scared by it. Do you know what I'm saying? And I love that. I love it because yeah, it yeah. means that the force of which he might be fighting with, uh, God is fighting even stronger. And getting you to realize also that, yo, you've got something to do down here. And I believe that you're doing it. Every single time you're on your live, every single time you're on your Instagram, every single time you're in a school, every single time, every single time you open up your mouth, you are living out the purpose that God wanted you to live out. And it's showing, yeah. it's being shown to everyone. Yeah. And the people who are receiving that and the people who are benefiting from it are the testimony that, nah, we needed him here. Because if he yeah. wasn't, that thing he said, I would have never heard that. That woman at that nighttime, at that specific moment, she needed you. Do you know what I'm saying? Your mom, being a mental, being working in mental health for so long, you yeah. needed her there at that specific time to keep this purpose going. Do you know what I'm saying? Because she would have just said, yeah. "Boy, I don't know," <laughs> but she. Yeah, needed, real, real. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go and take some more. She went, you know, maybe yeah. take some more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but God, I think at different touch points, God is trying to say that, "Yo, my brother, my son." You're here for a reason. I need yeah, you here. Yeah. We need you here. You know, so ah, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, looking at time. Okay, I'm conscious of time. Okay, let me. <laughs> um, two last things I want to ask you then is um, there was a quote that you said in an interview. Uh, you okay. said, um, This case was a big part of my life, and I was hoping the trial would help me achieve some sort of closure. Now, the mm -hmm. person who, um, who, who stabbed you, they passed away. And I wanted to know, them passing away, but not, in a sense, being judged, what effect did that, did that have on you? Not being able to do the court case, not being able to go through that whole process. Were mm -hmm. you able to forgive them? Um, how did you feel about them passing yeah, so I mean, it's funny because on the day past, um, the police who called me, somebody called me and says, I don't know if you know, but no, someone from BBC called me first. That was it. And they're like, oh, um, we just heard that the guy who stabbed you has killed himself in prison. And uh, this is literally the Friday, the Thursday evening. And we met to go to court on the Monday the next week. Literally, wow. the Monday next week was the first day of the trial. So I think. I wrongly had put all the weight of this period of my life ending on going to court. Same what I have to say, because written, I've written my witness statement already. It's all done. I've still got it somewhere. And uh, we've gone through it with the police. Everyone's happy with it. I'd even read it out somewhere for someone to, to check over for me to make sure I've got all my points across. Um, so that was it. Like, when I've got this done, I'm over. I'm going to move forward with my life, that kind of thing. So when I heard that, first I was gutted. I was going for him as well, you know, because... I genuinely know that for him to do what he did, to go where he went to, 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 to do what he did, he had to have some mental health issues that had been untended to. So, you know, to walk into a church on a Sunday morning with a big 12-inch knife to go and kill someone in the middle of a whole full church, he must have had some issues mentally that meant he didn't have the ability to think this isn't a good idea. Mm -hmm. So I wish he got the help he needed. I didn't want him to be punished for his mental illness. I wanted him to be helped and maybe... To be, what's not recuperated? What's the word? Rehabilitated. Rehabilitated, yeah. So that he could have some kind of, even if he's in prison, have some kind of life where he can make a, a, a valuable contribution somehow to the world. Um, and I think the truth was that 
when I heard that, I was gutted I wouldn't get that. Because I wanted to see him again so I could see that he hadn't killed me. Because yeah. um, after he left the church, he was heard saying, I should have killed you, I should have killed him. But he was crazy, so it's one of those things. Um, so, you know, when that passed, I was like, okay, so how am I going to move on with my life? This is an internal conversation. How am I going to move on with my life now if I can't tell him? And one of the things my dad always taught us, he says it all the time, is that forgiveness, or sorry, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I think Albert Einstein said it, or someone like that says it. And it hit home to me at that moment, like, me not forgiving him does not sh change his life. Even if he's in prison or he's dead, wherever he is, me not forgiving him would not make an ounce of difference. The person carrying the weight of unforgiveness would be, always be me. The anger and the hatred and the, I want to get back him, that's not going to affect him. I'm going to be outside of prison, in a prison, outside prison that I've created myself. Yeah. While he's in prison, probably just living his best life, playing PlayStation 5. So, like, I'm thinking, I can't afford to waste the rest of my life, like, prison, in prison myself, in walls I've created and built with my own hands, while he's, you know, in 11 years, going to be out of prison and be cool with his life and happy. So I have to make a decision right there and then. I'm either going to forgive him and move on, or I'm going to bear the brunt of the unforgiveness. And it was literally a split-second decision. I said, you know what, I'm over it. I forgive him. And I'm moving on with my life. I'm not going to allow him or this moment to dictate the trajectory of the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to allow me to be, my life to be dictated or predicated on one moment that lasted like five seconds. Mm -hmm. The rest of my life can't be based on that. If anything, it can be in a positive, like this is the trigger to move forward, mm -hmm. but not, oh my God, why, ha why it happened to me? Why not somebody else? Why nah, I'm, I'm alive. Mm -hmm. So you, I won. He stabbed me in my neck. The doctor told me, Adam, you're a walking miracle. You were five millimeters away from being dead. Five millimeters less than a grain of rice. And he stabbed me in my neck while we're rolling on the floor. And somehow I'm alive. <laughs> what am I mad about? What can, what can I possibly be mad about when I know that I beat all the odds? I had pneumonia and blood clot in my lung. I survived it. My car blew up. I survived it. I had um, last year, I had pericarditis. My heart got an infection in the sack around it. And suddenly my heart started getting bigger and bigger. I could feel it touching my skin. I went to the hospital and I was in the hospital for about three days. They're trying to help me sort it out. They tried to sort me sort it out. But I'm like, why are all these things happening to me? But at the same time, I'm like, why not me? All it is is, Adam, remember, you are here for a purpose. Every time you're not living your life purposefully, I'm going to remind you that you are on limited <laughs> time. Every time I get hit with something, it's like, Adam, remember, you are on limited time. Do what I've given you to do, or you might not escape the next time. And that's why I think. I used that day, uh, September 10th, 2017, as the trigger for me now. And I'll never, ever become complacent. I could never allow my life to be a normal, mediocre life ever again, simply because I've been given the gift of life where many of us have been through less things than me and never survived. People mm -hmm. have been in a car accident and been driving at five miles an hour and died. Someone yeah. tripped over in the house, hit the head and died. I got stabbed wow. on my neck twice in my hand. I'm alive. So if that's not a sign there's a purpose for me, if that's not a sign that I'm supposed to be doing something, if, not that, if that's not a sign that there's an atom-shaped hole in the world that I'm meant to be filling, I don't know what it is, man. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it's, it's impossible for me to be unhappy or upset for too long about what happened to me because I'm still here. Mm. And if I was going to be, what's the word? If I was going to be bad, I'd say I'm here and he's not here. You know, like out of the two of us, if you looked at it on the day, mm. someone got stabbed in the neck two times and the other person didn't get touched. One of them's not going to be here in, in two months' time. Who's it going to be? You say it with me. But I'm the one that's here today. Yeah. So, and one other quick thing about that is his family um, 
kind of carried her burden of, uh, of uh, guilt about it. And I had to tell like someone to tell them, I don't know them personally, but the person, someone that knew the family of his family said like, this guy had been somewhere that I was and he had to leave because he felt so bad. I said, tell the family mm -hmm. that as far as I'm concerned, like they've done nothing wrong. They are completely free of any guilt or anything. And if anything, their brother helped save my life. So mm -hmm. there's nothing for them to ever, ever feel bad about, never. And that was, that was something I felt I had to do because I can imagine they're carrying the guilt of what's happened to me and also even what happened to their brother because yeah. maybe they couldn't have, they could have intervened or I don't know what they could have done differently for him mm -hmm. but they felt guilty about what happened and I'm saying no 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 your brother as much as it, the devil meant to be evil in the moment it happened God turned out for so much good and my mm -hmm. life now is I genuinely I'm, I'm so happy it happened to me it sounds crazy but it changed my life yeah. So I can't complain about it, man. That is amazing. And even as you speak and the way you speak about it and the scope you have for that situation, it shows me that it shows me that God knew who to pick. Yeah. Because yeah. there was a shoot in, in Charleston. I think it was Charleston in the church. Yes, yeah. And I'm I'm a Christian, but I remember looking at that situation. And one of my biggest questions I really, I really unpacked that situation because it was a prayer meeting and I really couldn't understand it. I couldn't grapple with it that mm. those people who were shot were at the same time praying yeah. to God. Mm. And so with your situation, you mirrored it a bit whereby a stabbing, and when I remember hearing it, a stabbing mm. in church? Mm. I was like, but I would have thought um, that's the safest place. But, yeah, yeah. you know, hearing your story and, and, and hearing the scope of it, you know, in relation to yourself, um, the perpetrator, the fact, it, always, it just shows me that God knew the type of person he could allow that situation to happen to and how they would respond. He knew that you would see a different slant to it, whereas somebody else might have been like, woe is me, and, and, and wouldn't enable themselves to see outside what they went through. You not only were able to forgive the person, you were able to give release to the family. Because just like you said, I imagine, it's just like you said, the guilt the family would have for what their child mm. did, but also what they did to you. But your heart and the person you are, and God saw that you could handle that, it's given them release, you know what I'm saying? And who knows how God uses that to, to draw them closer to him. So... Mm. It's just, you know, your story in all and all, like, it's a beautiful, um, it's almost like it's a beautiful example of, like you said, resilience. It's resilience in a person. This mm. is what resilience looks like, you know, and mm. you're, you're wearing it well. And I just say continue to wear it. Your last question is, when all is said and done, when, <laughs> when your last day comes, how would you like people to remember you and, and to think of Adam Brooks? We're standing at your grave. We're, stand, we're doing the eulogy. What would you like people to remember? Hopefully that's in a very, very, very long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a good question, man. Um, I think, well, I know my purpose. My purpose is to inspire people to find their purpose and not just to inspire them to, but then to live and pursue it like their life depends on it. So I think if I was to have a, if someone were to say like, what is the thing that Adam gave to your life? 
it would be that I inspired them to look inside themselves to find out what they're really here to do, mm. to look at their heart and find out what they're passionate about, to find out what pulls at them when they see it happening, what makes them get angry or feel passionate about it at the time that, that leads them to find their purpose and to live it and to pursue it with, with the kind of intensity they pursue money, they pursue a girl, they pursue the things that you really, really want. And um, if I could give people that in a bottle, that's what I'd give them. I think the killer thing for me is that like, now I know what I'm here to do. Like, I know why I've experienced what I've experienced. Yeah. I know that I had to be, because honestly, but this, this is the killer thing. When I was first understanding who I was and what my purpose was, I was, I felt underqualified. I was like, my life has been so easy. I've grown up with a great family. My mum and dad loved me. My dad didn't bounce. My mum cherished me, loved me, spoke loving words of affirmation into my life every single day. My brother and sister are my best friend. There's no sibling rivalry. I have got no issues. My parents growing up gave us what we needed to survive. It was just like, what, what, can, what comfort have I had in my life that means that I can motivate people to be, you know, to chase after their dreams because I've never chased mine. My life's been easy. So mm. I didn't pursue my purpose, bro, because I said, I haven't been through anything for people to believe me when I tell them they have to chase their purpose. So like when I went through my first thing, my, my pneumonia and, and uh, then my car blowed up and stuff, I'm like, yeah, it's okay, but it's not that serious. <laughs> it's, it's not enough. You know, it can to anybody, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, it's not that, still not enough. It's still not enough, you know, I need more, I need more. <laughs> so I wasn't doing it again. And then when it got started, I was like, okay, I think this might be enough. <laughs> and I don't think, I'm not saying that frivolously, I'm not saying that to make a joke. What I'm saying is, I didn't feel qualified to try and motivate people because I didn't realize, I didn't kind of feel like I was, had been through enough for people to understand that I had to pull myself out of stuff too, mm. that my mental health um, had been affected by certain things. Before that, my life was perfect, like not perfect, but pretty much perfect. Mm. Going through a broken marriage, everyone can, anyone can, you know, everyone sees that every day. Going through the little things I've been through is, is kind of normal. But when I went through the last, the, the main stabbing thing when I got stabbed, it's like, Surely, like now, Adam, you must believe that you've been through enough things to qualify you to now tell people they can get back up again when they go through things. They can aspire for more than what they have. Yeah. And so when I was thinking about like creating Level Up and doing my talks and stuff, which I've done for a long time, but Level Up came about later on. It's like, what do I really want people to do afterwards? It's like, it's to raise their game in their life, to not look at their life and think, this is what I've got to deal with. It's like, if you're not where you want to be in your life, then you have the power to change it immediately by changing your life, by changing your thinking, by changing your, your circle of friends, by changing anything in your life that you want to change. Just change it. You are in control of it. Mm. And that's the first. And then the next thing was raising the game. Then, sorry, it's never settle first. So never settle, which is just saying like, wherever you are in your life now, if this is not the best you can do, why are you there? Mm. Always be seeking to elevate. I'm not saying leave your wife to another woman every year. What I'm saying is, if you find yourself in a relationship that isn't serving you properly, if you find yourself in a job that isn't pushing you to be your best, if you find yourself in a friendship group that's stagnated, then move on up. Don't settle for anything in your life. And then the raising the game point, which I said a minute ago, is like, when you find a challenge you can't, you're struggling with, then go back, educate yourself, qualify yourself with a thing, and then go back and pursue it. Mm -hmm. Don't say, I can't get that job because I'm not qualified. Find out what qualifications do I need to get that job. Mm -hmm. Then go to night school. Why are you still working your job? Go online school. Go to find a mentor. Find someone who's doing the thing you're doing. And learn it. And then go back and apply for the job. Don't settle for less because you're not qualified. Qualify yourself. Prove to yourself you can do it. And consistently go on a, a pursuit of changing, changing your life for the better. Whatever it is. It could be anything. Your finances. 
relationship, whatever it is, it's always better. I'm not saying don't be satisfied with anything. I'm saying you know when you've hit the ceiling, you know when you're not when you're capable of more. And if you're capable of more, do more. So my yeah. my dream to go back to the question is that if anybody who's met me, if they've ever felt like they can't do anything in their life, that I've inspired them at one point or another to pursue purpose, to chase their goals and chase their destiny and chase the best life they can get with their whole heart mm. and to never settle for something that's beneath them. And as a Christian, to know that when God has set, God set like, <laughs> to go into it a bit deeper, if God made you, there's a purpose for you. If God made you, there's a plan for your life. If God made you, there's something in the world that only you're here to do. If God made you, you believe that, then there's no way you can just be here existing just like anybody else. Like we all have purposes, but if you believe God made you, how dare you settle for less than what God has for you? How dare you settle for a relationship where the person does not value you? How dare you settle for a career where you're actually under, under, underappreciated, undervalued, and underpaid? When you're a child of God, how can you dare accept that and then turn around and say, yes, I love God and I worship him and I believe in Jesus, but your faith doesn't extend to your own life? So I want people to be inspired by that. If you leave, if you hear me talk once and I haven't inspired you, I've failed. Every time I do a talk, I'm talking for one person, one person in the room who's ready to change. And as long as I hit that person, I'm ready. Ready, yeah. I'm happy. But, bro, sorry, I keep going on. But, like, <laughs> it's just so important, man. It's Amazing. so important for people to understand you're not just here. You're not just on the world by accident. Even if your parents weren't planning to have you, even if your mom's had conceived you in the back of a, a, chair, a, car, a car seat, even if you were in foster care system and in adoption and it seemed like nobody wanted you, God had a plan for your life and there's a reason why you're here. And from the time you can accept that, then you realize you open up the door for anything to be possible in your life. The whole, the whole, world, the whole world we live in now, it's, it's, the whole idea is that we're kind of told we're not who we're meant to be. We're told we're not capable of things. We're told we're not special. We're all the same. That's not what God says about you. God says, I designed each and every one of us, each and every one of you, each one included me, specifically the way that you are. Like, he knew who we'd be and he knew where we'd be. And so it's up to us to pursue our purpose, man. And that's what I want people to take away from me. If that's the only thing, if no one remembers my name, if people don't think I'm funny or attractive or anything else, mm. if they feel empowered and inspired, my job's done. Job's done. Can we get a round of applause in the comments, please? Because that is a word. That is, uh, that is something to take into your heart, man. Oh, that is beautiful. I love it, man. Um, your last question before you come out um, is, do you have a question for me? I do. I do. Be, be easy. I've got two questions, actually. <laughs> right, okay. The first one is, like, do you feel like you ever go back into music? That's the first one. That's not the main question. But do you feel <laughs> like you ever go back into music? Because I remember me and my brother had you on our website yeah, in like 2009, yeah. was it? Yeah. yeah. 10? <laughs> and you guys had the number one download on our website yes. for years. Damn, okay. I know that. Combo, Matt will tell you what the song was called. We were talking about it the other day. Was that the up to you? Was, called, was it Com... 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 No, it's not Com... Uh, Champion? No, not Champion. No, it wasn't that. Um, I can't remember. Before. I can't remember. But there's the song. Matt will, Matt will put in the comments in a minute when you see but we're talking about is number one download on our site for years, alongside some major artists. People love the song. So you go back into music. Or would uh, you? Everyone, it's funny. Everyone answers this question. Um, it's up to you. Someone once I you. feel, once I feel God inspired to, yeah. Okay. Because I, uh, my last album that I put out that was 
literally God downloaded music into my heart and I put mm. it out there. After that, I tried to write again. I haven't written anything since October 2018. Okay. And that's what I... People said that when I have a child, it will come, don't worry, it will come. It hasn't come. So I'm ready <laughs> for whenever God places his hand on me again and then mm. it just flow. Yeah, so... But before that, I always attached my purpose and my destiny to the music. And I felt okay. that if I didn't do music, I failed in life. But God had showed mm. me that, nah, I've just made you a creative vessel and whatever mm. I need you to direct your creativity towards, I will anoint you to do that whenever you want. Mm. Whenever you want. Yeah, so. Yeah. So Matt, Matt said in the comments that the song was called It's Up To up You. Up To You, yeah, Up To You. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> My second question was, I think I listened, I don't know if it was Renee's one or another mm. one, um, where you were talking about the purpose of why you do the sit down in terms of, you know, there may be someone who's sitting at home, just one person maybe sitting at home who's not feeling inspired or who's not feeling like they, they can go on, whatever, you know, whatever scenario they're in, there's someone who needs to be inspired and you want to do this and the consistency of doing it every week and stuff. Mm -hmm. So imagine, God forbid, but imagine this is the last one that you did. Like, what's the thing that you would say to be your enjoying message to me? What would you want people to take away from the sit down? What would you want people to walk away and know? Repeat this message every day. This is what you need to know. Or what would you say? That the sit down is proof, or 21 questions is proof. No. Oh, I don't know. Oh, there you are. Oh, okay. It was you then, bro. I don't know. Yours, yours was just like, you were static. You weren't no, moving. I was there. It was like, I lost you, man. I thought I was Oh, okay. Like... <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was saying that, you know what? I think what I've learned from 21 Questions, what I've learned from Sit Down is that everybody has a story. And mm. I think that sometimes we think everybody, um, you know, people have got it all made and people have got it all sorted out. No one person on this earth living has this thing sorted out, this life thing. Nobody has it sorted out. We're all trying to make our way through what life dishes us. So let us use that understanding to extend grace, to extend love, to extend compassion. That same compassion you extended to um, your perpetrator, the, the gentleman, was because you understood that maybe there was something he was dealing with. And so mm -hmm. all these interviews that we've had you're the fifth. Wow, you yeah. You're the fiftieth interview. That's that's a, yeah. That's a milestone. Jubilee. 
Hey, you are the 50th interview. All the interviews we've had has shown me that people go through stuff. And just like you mentioned, it's the resilience that is bringing them through, whether it's in their business, their life, whatever it might be. But this is what unites us, that we all go through something. We all have experienced something in our childhood. We all are still trying to make it out from our past, and we're mm -hmm. still going. So let's extend that grace, that love, that compassion to each other, because none of us are perfect out here. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that's what I love people to know. It's funny you say that because I, I believe 100% that's exactly what I think as well. And I think I was listening to, I think Les Brown a while ago, it's on a tape somewhere, on, a, mm. on an audio book. And he was saying, you know, one of the things that we, we fail to see is that there's so much information out there that anybody who wants to change their life could find the information they need to change their life. The information isn't the issue. It's the fact that it's been, it's not delivered in a way that convicts them to change. Right. And so I think having people on a platform like this to share their story mm. from a place of, like, for example, in my place of going through certain things and having the desire to help other people to change their life. Like having my thing is I don't want, I don't think anyone should have to go through what I've been through to change their life. Yeah. I want my story to be enough for someone to be convicted. Like I cannot afford to waste my life. Mm. So like, I don't want anybody to be to, I want, I want my story to hit them like a ton of bricks. I want people to be like shocked and oh my God, to wake them up, mm -hmm. to like, I need to live my life now. I need to force myself to make the changes without having to have gone through yeah. the stabbing, the car burning up, the divorce, the pneumonia, <laughs> the heart problem, that kind of I need people to be able to wake up themselves yeah. without that. And that's what the difference is between information and the passion behind the message that we have mm. that helps people to be convicted without having to be what be going through what I've been through or two. Do you know what I mean? Like they can just, from my story, be like, rah. I can't let it be me. Yeah. And that's why I think it's important that this platform exists because oh. you're giving the vehicle for my story. You're mm. giving the vehicle for other people's stories for people to hear this today. And like you said before, if one person hears it and changes their life, you've completed your purpose, man. Like, mm -hmm. genuinely, if one person listens to this tonight and says, from this day forward, I'm never going to settle in my life ever again. Mm. The sit down is completely validated. If it took 50 episodes for that to happen, it still matters. It still counts. That's true, true. Very true. So Very true. that's why I think it's so important that this exists, man. And I think it's so important what you're doing and having people share their stories, giving them the opportunity to share and give someone else sitting at home a reflection of almost themselves sometimes. Oh, I've been there. Mm. I thought I was the only one. True. I didn't realise I could get up again after this. Like, it's amazing, bro. So you've got to keep it going, man. Even after lockdown is completely done and stuff. You've yeah, got to keep on going, man. You've got to keep, there's, so many, there's so many stories out there that need to be told. Exactly. And, that's, and that is the thing. It's not, uh, we don't just want, um, it's not a big name thing. Oh, we need to get the biggest name on or yeah. the latest hot gossip. It's trying to get people on who have some powerful, inspirational, untold stories. Mm. That is it. Mm. Can, is your story coming on to empower or inspire in some way whether it's business whether it's your life whether it's something you've achieved or been through that is the the essence of, of you know of the sit down so um before you know you know people would be like oh i should get this person that get that, get that person i will if when i look into it i can find yeah, something yeah. that can empower and inspire and you know when you reached out and I saw what you were doing and what you, you know, your story of that, yes, it clicks, you know, so big up to you. And you're actually the, I think you're the, uh, one of the only first people who've reached out oh, and, right, has, okay. and it has connected. Mm -hmm. but because normally I would pick the person. 
mm-hmm. because I can find something. But you made me go out there, search, and and, and find something amazing in your, in your story. So thank you for sharing your story. I, I, I pre- and just like um, you know, tribute. You said thank you so much for your transparency. Transparency is very important on the sit down because. Mm-hmm a lot of things are hidden behind smoke screens. So when I was asking you about the marriage, what was it specifically that broke down? Mm. Because if I've got you here, let's find out. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's not sugar, let's find out what, what it was so that people can learn from it. And like you said, make them reflect on their own self and their own behavior in relationships. Maybe that's something that they do and they need to tweak. So thank you for your transparency. Thank you for your willingness to share. Thank you for your story. And um, we're just wishing you all the best, man. Wishing I appreciate it, man. Thank you, man. And that's my pleasure, man. Keep up the great work, man. You're smashing it. I love it. Thank you, man. Thank you, bro. Big up to your family. We've got Matt in the building as yeah. well. Um, and your family. And God bless you, man. Anything you're doing, we always say, anything you're doing, we'll just be jumping on it and just pushing it out there. And if there's anything that you need us to get on, and, you know, whether you're doing a new program, whatever you're doing, please send it our way and we'll get it out there. I will do, bro. I appreciate that. Thank no you very worries. much, man. Take care, bro. You too, man. No worries. All right, bro. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for 21 Questions with Adam Brooks. Um, we, yeah, what we always love to do is that once this finishes, it goes straight onto the profile. So you can watch it from the top to bottom. If you came halfway, you came at the end, do not worry. It's going to be on the IGTV and you can watch it. But you also have the ability to binge season one, binge season two. Uh, We've got episodes that you can just watch all night till midnight if you wanted to. But all we ask is that you comment and that you share. We're going to be gearing up for our live events as um, lockdown eases. So in the link in our bio is a mailing list. Okay, We are on 145 members on that mail list. Once it hits 200, we close it, okay? So if you do want to be um, updated with our events um, that are just like this, we get a guest on and we unpack their story and you get to ask questions. If you do want to be on that list, I'm telling you, get on there now. You click the link in the bio, add your name to the mailing list and you can get discount tickets. Every event we do free tickets, so you can be the first to get the free tickets. But we want you to be involved and we want to see you in person. It's been great seeing people on the screen, but we really want to connect with people in person. So click on the link, uh, watch the IGTV season one and two, click on the link and add yourself to the mailing list. I've been IC, this has been fantastic. I would love you to write down in the comment section right now, how did you find this session? If you enjoyed it, say you enjoyed it. If you hated it, say you hated it. However you felt, I want to know and I want to get some feedback and I want to read it out. So Abby, Abby says, this live was inspirational. So glad that I tuned in. So proud, so proud of you, cuz Adam. Yeah, I love it. Um, Shan Sterling says, have fun, my love. Um, in, I'm Rebecca, Rebecca Linton said, proud of you, Adam. Uh, what else have we got in here? Chew Beauty says, what a blessing. Uh, who else have we got? Neat's Kate says, amazing live. Nam says, thanks again, Adam. Always an inspiration. Um, hashtag no rats. No rats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Perlene says, I'm inspired today. All right. I love it. Love it. Um, who else? We've got um, M1 Levy says, it was an amazing session. 
Adelaide Finn says, I'm definitely never settling for sure. Rebecca says, loved it, my bro. You're the real deal. You slay all day. Amazing, amazing. Guys, make sure you're following the sit-down. We're going to be back here next week, Thursday, 9pm. God bless your hearts and have a good evening. Take care.